Hey, what's going on this week, boys and girls? You've tuned in to Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. I'm your host, Jacob Robery. And in this week's episode, we're talking about equipment. And what I mean by equipment is we're going to recap our 2019-2020 season and the equipment that we had success with in the field this year and some of the equipment and changes that we made that weren't so great. So equipment plays a huge part. Many of you can agree. As far as being successful, a lot of us, we work full time. We hunt in the off season. We have limited time to be able to go out there and hunt. And without good equipment or without reliable equipment, that can make our hunts very measurable and not very successful in the field. So the same goes for us. We're full-time you know, working Americans that go out. We spend a lot of money on equipment. We spend our budget revolves around buying the best equipment that we could buy for hunting season. A lot of us overspend when it comes to that. Um, some of you may not overspend. Some of you may budget that ahead of time. And you set aside X amount of dollars for whether it's joining a lease or X amount to travel during, you know, the the hunting season to go out there and buy equipment and maybe even, you know, pay for guided hunts or whatever it may be. So the equipment that we use is something that's vital to, you know, how successful we are on a trip. And nobody wants to get caught with bad equipment out there. Um, some of the things that we used this year were new items and new brands that we uh, we tried out, and we were very happy with some of them, and some of them, some of them we weren't. Um, I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way. And I made a big change this year in the middle of the hunting season, um, and I'll kind of share my story on that. But as a waterfowl hunter, one of the most useful tools that we could have is our firearm. Our, you know, our firearm is something that we have a, a, a really close relationship with during the hunting season, whether you're a deer hunter or you're a squirrel hunter, rabbit hunter, waterfowl hunter like we are. doesn't really matter. Um, it could be a bow. It could be, for, for all you bow hunters, it could be the way you set up your bow and the, your bow could be, you know, something that you form a bond with and you got to get comfortable with to feel comfortable in the field to be able to go out there and have a successful hunt and feel comfortable. For me personally, um, a year or two ago, I purchased a, a new firearm, a new waterfowl shotgun, and, and it's one of the big brands. Um, and I'm going to talk about a little bit about that. I went out a couple of years ago, and I was ready to upgrade my shotgun. Um, I looked at a lot of the major brands out there. I looked at the uh, the Remingtons, the Berettas, Benelli's, uh, Mossberg, pretty much all the major brands that you could you could you know look at. Um, and I went over to my local Cabela's. And I, I kind of picked them all up. I held them, kind of, kind of checked them all out. And I was leaning more towards the Benelli brand. Now I ended up settling on a, on a specific gun that I had looked at for years. I always kind of liked the feel of it. Um, it was something that I thought would fit me well. I just, I just liked the feel of, of it. And the particular Benelli I'm talking about was a Benelli Vinci. The Benelli Vinci is a, a gun that's been out many, many years for Benelli. Um, I think it's been since the early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know a lot of people don't necessarily gravitate towards the Benelli Vinci, but always, I always kind of like the look of it. A lot of friends of mine 
when I, whenever I bought it, they kind of said, man, you know, why you bought DaVinci? It's not, man, that's an ugly gun. It's not really a pretty gun. Um, I, I haven't heard good things about it. And honestly, I think the negativity came more from the looks of the gun than it was the functionality of the gun because several of my buddies that, you know, had never even shot it. That's not a gun that they had ever personally shot. So I made a, I made a purchase. I bought a Benelli Vinci. I didn't need the Super Vinci, which was the uh, three and a half inch uh, version of the gun. I went ahead and I got the regular Vinci that's been out for many, many years. Most of my hunting is going to revolve around, you know, duck hunting, not so much goose hunting. Three and a half wasn't something that was really a big issue to me. But I, I compared the Vinci to the M2 that Benelli has out and also the Super Black Eagle. And I just like the feel of the, the, the Vinci at the time in the store. Once again, I'm in the store, picking them all up, kind of shouldering them, taking a look at the specs on them. I kind of had already did my research. I knew what the, what the following was out there and what people's opinions were. But I wanted to kind of make that opinion for myself because I was about to drop a pretty good chunk of change on a gun. So I ended up going with the with the Vinci. Um, I think at the time I paid right around fifteen hundred dollars for it. Um, wasn't wasn't cheap by any means, but it's what felt good to me in the store. Um, I knew it had been out for many many years. I figured Benelli had worked out most of the kinks on it, and I purchased that firearm. So I buy an extended choke with it. I, I ended up <clears throat> buying me a Pattern Master extended choke with it, and I started taking it to the range sighting it in, kind of patterning it on paper. Um, really like the grouping that it held. But looking back now, I have to say, when I was taking it to the range, I started noticing I was getting a pinch on my finger, on my trigger finger. Didn't pay no attention to it. Like most of us, you, you, you're super excited. You have a new gun. You kind of overlook little things, telltale signs like that. Um, so I patterned it, started patterning the different types of shells, Ended up going with blind, uh, not blind side, with uh, heavy metal uh, shells. I found that those were patterning really well in that particular gun. Um, ended up buying a case of heavy metal shells for it, and I, I was set. I was ready to go. So last season was my, the 2018-2019 season was my first season with this particular gun. So um, went out with it, started making some hunts with it. Very accurate, shouldered really, really well. Um, I went out before the season, shot shot several boxes of skeet with it, felt really comfortable with it. When the season opened up, I went out there, and like I said, I was shooting really well with it, knocking down birds that I should be knocking down. Um, I, I noticed an improvement over my Remington that I had before. Uh, my shots were a lot more accurate, seemed to throw a better group, better pattern out there. Um, but the more and more I started to hunt with it, I was noticing that my finger was, was, was hurting, the trigger finger, once again. And that could just be the way I'm gripping the, the, the gun. Maybe I, I was pulling too hard on the trigger. There, there, you start thinking things like that, that, okay, what am I doing? But I, it was something that I was noticing more and more. And I, the more I used it throughout the season, I was getting where it was starting to make a, a pretty bad blister. So I started wrapping it with tape when, I, when I'd go hunt, and I knew I was going hunt, or I'd wear gloves in the wintertime, of course. So I was wearing gloves. Um, with thin gloves, I'm not a person that likes thick gloves. Down here in south of Louisiana or in Louisiana as a whole, typically we don't have to purchase thick gloves to make it through a season. Um, so that's something that I don't even have in my arsenal of clothing. You know, I, I have thin, I, I, I 
I worked for Cabela's for many years, so I was blessed to have access to discounts on a lot of outdoor clothing, and I have some some great thin, kind of tacky feeling Cabela's gloves. Um, they're Northern Flight gloves, and really like them a lot. I've had them for several seasons. They've held up really well. So when I was using gloves, I was using a good quality glove. But even then, with the thin glove, I was noticing that I uh, I was having a, a, a pretty bad blister on my trigger finger, and um, and it, to the point, it's not it wasn't a little thing anymore. It was starting to bother me more and more. Um, so anyway, I made it through the 2018 to 2019 season, but in the back of my mind, I kind of had that on my mind, saying, you know what? Uh, let, let me look into this a little bit more. So after the season ended, I kind of went online, started searching and uh, googling maybe other guys to see if they had had the same you know uh, complaints that I was having about the gun and and once again it wasn't personally nothing with Benelli it wasn't nothing it, it was just the design of the gun and my personal way I shoot that's all it, it all it boiled down to but when I got online I, I kind of started seeing other people complaining about it on the Vinci and some other people had complained about that particular issue with a couple of other uh, Benelli firearms and they they actually termed it the Benelli bump is what several people who had purchased and had the same experience was calling it the Benelli bump which made sense because it, it kind of formed like a calluses or a bump on the trigger finger and when I started looking at the, the the design of the gun and as compared to some of my my older guns or some of my other guns in the cabinet like my 870 Remington's and my Mossberg 500's I had had uh, Franke I-12 before. I had had a Remington Versamax that I had uh, passed on to my dad. I had other firearms that I kind of compared it to. And if you look at the Benelli Vinci, as compared to the M2 or the Super Black Eagle, where the trigger is located on the firearm, it's, it's a longer trigger pull to access the trigger area than it is on those two particular guns. So that's something that I noticed once I started looking at it very closely as compared to some of the other brands and other guns in my gun cabinet. So I figured, hey, that's probably got to be it. Maybe it's just the way my hands, you know, maybe I don't have the, the longest fingers out there. I don't have fingers that are designed to really reach and pull. It's putting it in a bond when I shoot. So it, something little like that may seem very, very little to you, you know, but it was making a big difference to me and my, the way I was shooting. I was noticing, uh, it was a, I was kind of trying to change the way I shot. Um, I was pulling off of birds and I was missing shots that I should have been hitting. So something very minimal of what you would think was, was starting to turn into a bigger issue. So I knew that in the back of my mind, other people had kind of complained about it. They had had the same issues, but fast forward, I was heading into the 2019, 2020 that just ended. So I said, didn't even think about it. I was fired up like anybody else ready for waterfowl season. I took my, I got my gun out. I had already cleaned it when I put it up the previous year. And I was ready to go take it to the range, go start shooting skeet. So started taking it to the range before the season. Uh, started shooting some clays. And when you're shooting clays, most of us that shoot clays, we'll, we'll shoot quite a bit. You know, you may go a week and shoot a complete box of clays you may go a few weeks later shoot another box of clays that was my situation what i was doing i was trying to run some rounds through it kind of get on get on it so i could practice my shooting and get ready for the season so when i had went a couple of trips and shot quite a bit of clays 
I really started noticing that it was coming back on my finger from where I had had the blister and stuff the year before. Um, it got so bad that at one point, um, during the first split of this season, I actually sliced my finger open before it got cold and I was wearing gloves with it. It sliced my finger open in that same very spot. And I said, okay, I said, I, I gotta, I gotta seriously take a look at this. So when I sliced my finger open, I, a couple of months after that, I started taping it up and, uh, I, I just found I was adjusting the way I, I normally shoot my natural way of shooting a firearm. Um, and I started missing a couple of birds on a few hunts and I said, okay, you know what? I, I got to take a serious look at this. So in between the, the first split and the second split, when we were actually in the, in the split itself here in Louisiana, I went over to Cabela's and I was looking at firearms, you know, kind of picking up a couple of different ones. And I talked to, the, to a guy in the gun library over at my local Cabela's in Gonzales. And I told him, I said, I said, I'm having an issue with it. I showed him on my hand. And he said, well, let, let's grip one. Let me see how you shoot. Let me see how you're holding it. Uh, we did that. And he said, you know what? He said, you have, you're a big guy, but he said, you have, you know, short sausage fingers. He said, you have short, stubby, fat fingers, you know? He said, and I could see where the, the, the reach on the Benelli Venture is longer for you than on some of the other firearms. And you know what? The guy could have been BSing me. He could have been just trying to sell me a firearm, but it kind of got in my head and I was looking at it and I agreed with him. That's something I had kind of noticed before already. Like I said, from when I was looking at the designs of the guns and in no way or shape am I trying to bash Benelli. This was not a flaw that Benelli had with the firearm. This was just me as a shooter. It wasn't necessarily fitting me perfectly. So I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Benelli because that's not at all what this was about. So we, the more we talked, I picked up several other firearms and, uh, I said, he asked me, he said, are, are you happy with Benelli? I said, yeah. I said, I'm extremely happy with the build quality of the Benelli. I'm extremely happy with, with the gun itself. It's never let me down. I don't think I'd had a single misfire or jam with my Benelli venture. Um, but it, it just all boiled down to, I was, it was painful to shoot it. Honestly, is what it was. Um, and I said, Hey, I said, you know, do y'all still take trade-ins on guns, firearms and this and that. And he said, yeah, yeah, we sure do. He said, uh, you know, I said, well, would, would a Benelli venture be something that you would change? I don't know what the sales are on those. What would y'all, would y'all be willing to trade something? Like that? He said, oh yeah. He said, Benelli carries, it's a major name brand. It carries a good resale value. He said, we would definitely look at it. So what kind of shape is it in? And I told him, I said, look, I, I bought it a year and a half ago. Um, it's in excellent shape. I take care of my farms. I clean them just like they should. I said, but, you know, am I going to take a huge hit on a trade-in since the gun's fairly new? And he said, well, it depends on, on the condition. He says, look, honestly, he says, I have people all the time tell me that their firearm's in excellent shape on a trade-in. He said, and then we get it here. And he said, it's been dragged through the marshes. It's been, you know, sunk in the water, he said. It's full of mud. He said, so if you could bring it in, he said, let us do an evaluation on it. I'll evaluate it for you. And uh, he said, we'll take a look at it, see, see what we can come up with. So... I went home. I live, I live 10, 15 minutes from my local Cabela. So I went home. I told him, I said, look, I have the day off today. I'm going to run home. I'm going to get it. Could you take a look at it today? The guy says, yeah, sure. No problem. So that's what I did. I went home. I grabbed it. I put it in a case. I grabbed my choke tubes for it. I grabbed my choke tube wrench for it. And I brought it as if I was planning on trading it in. And I wasn't going to be coming home you know, with the gun that day. So I brought it to him, and, I, and and when I got back to Cabela's, he he walks me over back over to the gun library, and I, if you've never brought a firearm into one of these big box retail stores, 
they, they do it the right way. Typically, you'll have somebody check the firearm in. You have to have it in a case. And, uh, and you know, they'll walk you over to the, to the hunting section and take a look at it. So that's what this gentleman did. So we get into the gun library, and uh, he unzips the case, and he, he pulls it out, and he looks at it, and he kind of smiles at me. And he says, man, he says, you weren't lying. He says, uh, he says this thing looks like it's brand new, like it can be, you know, sold on the shelf like a brand new gun. I said, well, I said, I'm, I was honest with you. I was trying to be as honest as possible. I told you I take very good care of my firearms. All, you know, I, I, I didn't have any kind of scratches on it. Um, I had an extended choke tube with it. That was an $80 choke tube that went with it as well as the original factory tubes. Um, and we went from there with it. And he said, uh, he says, well, look, let me pull up some numbers. He says, but why don't you go take a look at the firearms we looked at? He says, uh, he says, I know you said you're happy with the, with the Benelli quality. He says, let me ask you a question. He says, have you ever looked at Franke, the, uh, the Franke brand? And I said, yeah. I said, actually, I have. I said, uh, I had a Franke I-12. I said, I still have it. Uh, in my collection, it was a really, really good gun. It was one of my first high-dollar firearms I had ever bought when I started making money and working. You know, the I-12 was a model that Franke had years ago that was that was a semi-automatic shotgun, and it was real reliable for me. And I knew I knew the history behind Franke. Franke was a brand that is actually owned by the Benelli Corporation. They are made in Italy just like the Benelli's are. Um, they're priced a little bit more budget-friendly than the Benelli's are. They don't quite carry the price tag of the Benelli's, but you don't really sacrifice a lot of the Italian quality in them. Um, and he said, also Stoger. He said, Stoger's another brand that they own. He said, now, for those of you who, who are, are familiar with Stoger, you're probably aware that they are made in America. They're owned by Benelli, but they are an American-made. That's, that's their American-made gun that they make here in the United States. Uh, and I have friends of mine and other hunters that I've hunted with that shoot Stoger, and they're, they're phenomenal firearms, to be honest with you. Never had issues with them. Uh, most of the guys that have them that I've hunted with have been very happy with them. Um, they're more of a budget-friendly shotgun and brand than Franke or Benelli. Um, they're made here in the States. They don't have to get imported. There's a lot of stuff that goes into keeping the price tag a little lower on them, but the quality seems to be very good. So I picked up a Stoger. I looked at the Stoger. I picked up a Franke, and honestly, Franke felt felt really, really good to me. I, I, this time, I paid a lot of close attention to the uh, to the, the trigger pull on it. It wasn't nearly as far of a long of a trigger pull and as far of a trigger pull as it was with, say, the Vinci that I had before. Um, so it felt really good to me. It was small. It was compact. It was light. And uh, I really liked it. So he made me a really good offer on trade-in for going with a, uh, a previous year model Franke. And I ended up trading in my, my Benelli Vinci for a Franke Affinity. So the Affinity platform is based off of the Super Black, the original Super Black Eagle platform, which is field proven, been out for many, many years. A lot of you probably shoot that firearm or maybe have that firearm and you, you moved on to a Super Black Eagle 2 and maybe even a Super Black Eagle 3. So he kind of explained the history to me on the Affinity. The platform looked very similar to the Super Black Eagle, the original one. Um, very light, like I said, compact. Throw, you know, threw up on the shoulder really, really well. Trigger pull seemed to be really good. And it was smooth, to be honest with you. It was smoother than the Stoger. So I ended up making a trade on the, the Super Black, or I'm sorry, on the, uh, the Vinci that I had and going with the Franke Affinity. So the second half of the season, I, you know, when we were still in between splits, 
I bought that firearm. I took it to the range immediately. I patterned it. I, I purchased another pattern master extended choke for it. I shot the stock chokes versus the extended choke with pattern master. Really like the pattern master. It seemed to, to pattern very similar to what my Vinci did. So second split comes around here in Louisiana this year and I was ready. I had a brand new firearm. I had already patterned it. Um, I was ready to go. And even though in the previous episode we recapped the season, it wasn't a phenomenal season this year, I was able to have a very successful second split as far as the birds that I did harvest. I I shot really well with that, with that particular shotgun. So, um, you know, the, the affinity, it's one of those guns that doesn't come in a three and a half inch, or at least the one I purchased didn't come in a three and a half. But once again, that wasn't something that was important to me. I didn't have to have a three and a half inch. I was looking for two and three quarter and three inch magnum loads is what I was looking for. That's what I hunt 99% of the time uh, with my firearms. If I have to go to a three and a half, I have other shotguns in my collection at home that I can hunt goose with. If I ever go on a goose hunt, get invited to go on a goose hunt, I have three and a half capability but I didn't need it in my particular everyday waterfowl shotgun. So I have to say, making that equipment switch in the split of the season this year made a huge difference in the way I was shooting. My my percentages went up a lot with the affinity over my Vinci that I had. And I have to give, uh, you know, props where props is due to the guy at Cabela's who helps me out. Uh, His name was James. James, if if you ever come across this podcast or you listening to this podcast, I have to thank you, say thank you to you. Um, you really took the time to kind of help me out in that situation. And you weren't just trying to sell me a firearm. You actually tried to uh, put me in something that was a good fit for me. And I, I want to thank you for that. I've actually stopped back by the store since then and thank James in person. But I just want to say thank you again, James. It made a big difference. And hopefully this firearm is a firearm that I could keep for many, many years and pass down to Jackson pass down to Hudson um, as they come up through the years and start shooting their semi-automatic. So switching uh, equipment, guys, will sometimes make a huge difference. Such a little thing that you would think was, was uh, you know, just a, a mild thing that you're saying, oh, Jacob, maybe, may, hey, man, maybe you were just missing. Maybe you're making excuses. Maybe you were missing. Hey, I, maybe so. Maybe it's not, an, I don't want to say it's an excuse because it made a difference. It, it really did make a difference. So that subtle change in equipment could sometimes make all the difference in the world and that that ended up being a big difference for me this hunting season um another another piece of equipment decoys all of us that waterfowl hunt invest time and money into decoys i have to say that and you know over the years i'm one of those guys i tinker with a lot of different decoys i tinker with a lot of different pat you know decoy patterns um pull decoys in add decoys to the spread depending on what the birds are doing and this year, um, I really wanted to focus on increasing my motion decoys into my spread and adding new motion decoys into my spread. Um, you know, we all familiar with the, the Mojo spinning wing decoys. That was that was kind of the trendsetter in the market years ago in the in the early 90s, late 90s. When Mojo came out with the spinning wing decoys, that was a game changer. But as a waterfowl hunter on public land, my conditions and my environment changes constantly, especially here in Louisiana. We have water that rises with the rivers. It drops with the rivers. You have to have deep water decoys. You have to have shallow water decoys. And 
go in with a spinning traditional spinning wing decoy on a stick, you know, on a pole, it, it is not really the best fit all the time. Because look, let's be honest, unless you hunt a rice field, a crawfish field, those little shitty poles that you get with these spinning wing decoys that are two and a half to three foot long, whatever they are, that it, it doesn't do much. That's the cheapest thing they can get by to give you a platform to put it on and sell it in a package and make money on it. That they're, they're looking at profits, not not necessarily, um, you know, in the field, you know, usability and capability. So those little poles, unless you hunt a crawfish pond or you, you have to go looking at extending poles, you have to buy. If the water comes up on you overnight, like, like for instance, we hunt Richard K. Yancey right off of the, the Mississippi River, the... Um, the red rivers in that area you have all coming into play as well as old river the, the water can literally, literally fluctuate overnight four to five feet sometimes depending on what the river's doing so you may hunt a spot like we did it opening weekend this year we hunted a spot that was in some button woods on richard k yancey opening day the second day of the season we went back the water had came up a foot and a half almost two foot overnight where we hunted at the following weekend troy and tioga two of our buddies that we hunt with all the time they had went the second weekend of the e-zone and the water had come up almost four to five foot that's how much it had it had fluctuated from opening weekend so they had to hang their motion decoys their mojos in the buttonwood trees they actually hang them by a string in the buttonwoods because the water fluctuated so much the poles wouldn't that, that now we're talking about longer poles, six-foot poles, eight-foot poles. Still weren't enough because the water had come up so much over what it was the week before an opening weekend. So they were hanging them in the buttonwood trees. So I told myself, I said, okay, you know, we got we got to look at a different solution. So, you know, traditionally we, with spinning wing decoys, the ones that we were talking about here, uh, Mojo was one of the first brands, like I mentioned, the Pioneer. Phenomenal. Phenomenal decoys. Never really had issues with them. But Mojo ventured out into other decoys. They started looking at the, uh, you know, some of the other brands coming out like Higdon. Higdon was making a, a motion decoy that I'm a, very fond of, the Pulsator. The Pulsator decoy is, is basically it's a duck butt that has a bilge pump, a water bilge pump attached to the butt of it. And it'll kick it and make it mimic a, a feeding duck in shallow water. So like your puddle ducks, like your, your mallards, your pintail, um, you know, stuff like that species like that it, it does a really good job of creating subtle movement in your spread it has ripples throughout your spread with all your normal decoys but you don't have the spin, spinning wing effect like they're so used to and accustomed to seeing down the flyway um, on a day where it, there's no wind i've seen birds decoy and land a foot from a pulsator before so you know last year year before well actually a couple of years ago i bought my first pulsator and that was the original one that Higdon had put out. It had it had a big heavy battery pack that was attached to the bottom of it. And I have taken that thing everywhere and had it in my spread. And I have to say that's been a phenomenal decoy. Um, <coughs> the, only, the only downside to that was it had a, a big heavy battery pack that came along with it. And you had to throw it. You know, you had to open up the battery pack. You had to connect the, uh, the, the battery to it on the positive and negative lead. You had to close it, throw it out there, and you had to hope that you had a good seal on that battery pack and that no water ever seeped in it. I will give props to Higdon though on that original battery pack. 
they did a really good job of waterproofing that box. Very seldom would I open or do I open that battery pack to this day and have any kind of moisture or water inside that battery pack. So shout out to you, Higdon. You, the original Pulsator was a hell of a good design, even though it had to have a battery pack attached to it. Now, the downside to the battery pack on the Higdon decoy is that you were limited on the depth. If you fished, once again, if you fished a deeper water and you threw that battery pack out, it wasn't going to move on you so much unless you were in any kind of current, but it had the weight to hold it in place. But, you know, say I'd say the battery pack with the cord lead that you had in the decoy, you probably had about six foot, six foot that you were good for. Or if it was deeper than that, it would it would weight down the duck butt, the, uh, the bilge pump hose, would go in the water and you might not have the action that you would in a, in a shallower environment. So it wasn't quite the same action, but it was still pretty good, I have to say. So since then, Higdon has come out with the new Pulsators, the XS series. And in the XS series, what they have done is they've taken lithium battery technology and they've put it into the decoy, therefore eliminating the battery pack. Purchased some of those and they've been, they've been extremely, extremely reliable in the field. Um, I switched to those this year over the Mojo Flyway Feeder. The Mo- for those of you who aren't familiar with the Mojo Flyway Feeder, it's it's their version of a bilge pump duck butt. Um, but honestly, I'm gonna, I'm just going to be honest here. And, and Mojo's a Louisiana company. I, I don't want to necessarily bash a Louisiana company because that's not what I'm about. But I'm I'm trying to keep it as honest as possible for everybody who listens to to our podcast. Um, if you're going out there and spending your money, your hard-earned money, money, and you don't have a lot of, of cash flow to buy decoys, I'm going to tell you, stay away from the Mojo Flyway Feeder. It's 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 just not good. It's not good quality. I purchased the Mojo Flyway Feeder. Um, it was working pretty good, and then all of a sudden, just locked up and doesn't work anymore. And this thing wasn't even a year old. So as compared to the Higdon Pulsator, Price-wise, the Higdon Pulsator runs you about $139 MSRP in most stores like your Cabela's and your Bass Pros and your, your Academy stores, to where Mojo's Flyway Feeder runs $99. Um, so it's about $30 to $40, say $50 at the most cheaper than the Higdon. But I can tell you from my experience and having both decoys in the field, and I take care of my equipment, that the Higdon is worth it paying the extra $40, $50, whatever the price difference is. Like I said, that original Pulsator with the battery pack that I have, I have one of them. I've had it five or six years. It was my first water motion decoy um, that wasn't a traditional spinning wing decoy, and it's still kicking to this day. The only thing I've had to change is a 12-volt battery in it. My flyaway feeder from Mojo hasn't even made it, didn't even make it through last season. Um, it had a big a bit, the platform that it was built on it just wasn't a good design. It seems like the bilge pump on it was way cheaper than the bilge pump that came on the Higdon decoy. So I got I got out of that that I threw that flyaway feeder away. Didn't even contact Mojo on it. Who knows? Mojo Mojo may have you know bagged that product. Maybe maybe it's shame on me. I should have contacted them if I was disappointed in it. But I didn't do that. I, I was in the middle of the season. It locked up on me. I threw it away. I went to the store, and I bought new decoys to replace it. So, now, the same year, which was the 2018-2019 season, 
Not only did I buy a flyway feeder from Mojo, they also came out with the flock of flickers. I thought to myself when I saw the flock of flickers at Shot Show, I said, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be a great, this, why didn't somebody think about this before? The flock of flickers come in a six pack. Most of you who use them, you'll know this. They come in a six pack. They sell for $100 a six pack at most big retail stores. I went out and I said, I have to buy me a set of flock of flickers. I was even, I even went back and bought a second pack of flock of flickers. So I had a dozen of them going into the 2018, 2019 season. I put good batteries in them. I installed them in my flock of flickers. I tested all my flock of flickers, make sure they were working as they should, which they were. And I said, okay, this is going to be a game changer because the flock of flickers are real settled. They're set on a timer. They kick on. They don't make any noise whatsoever. It's a great idea. You can put them throughout a normal set of decoys, and it, it it looks like ducks flapping their wings on the water. And it's not as, you know, vi- I guess not, I don't want to say as visible, but it's not as as loud, so to say, as far as the, the spinning traditional spinning wing decoys, and they float. So you can have them in any depth. It's a good fit to, to hunt any depth. You can have them in deep water. You can have them in shallow water. So I started using my flock of flickers. After a couple of hunts, I checked the batteries. Batteries all seemed to be good, but I was noticing that they were starting to act up a couple of them. Well, I took them. The ones that I noticed were starting to act up, and what I mean by acting up is they were shutting off. They wouldn't come back on. So when I'd get home, I'd take them apart. I'd look at them. I'd lubricate them with some WD-40, or I actually had some silicone-based lubricant I put on there just to make sure there was no corrosion, check them for water. And a couple of them I noticed were starting to have a little bit of moisture inside of them. So I thought to myself, okay, it's it's moisture that's probably getting to them a little bit. And I tried to correct it. I added a little bit of sealant around them just to keep them watertight as best as they could. And I, start, I kept on using them. Fast forward to the end of the season. Now, as I mentioned, I bought a dozen flock of flickers. By the end of the season, I had four flock of flickers that were still working as they should and the rest wouldn't even come on at all that was cleaning them checking them for moisture which seemed to be the issue most of the time but they just stopped working same thing as as what happened with the flyaway feeder decoy that i had from mojo the same year just kind of like locked up wouldn't work on me so by the end of the season of the 2018 2019 season i was pretty fed up with mojo as a whole like i said Never had an issue with the original spinning wing decoys. Every mojo I had, it pretty much worked without any problems whatsoever. But when they started branching out into some of the other areas and trying to compete with these other companies like Higdon, Lucky Duck, which is a brand I'm going to mention in a second, they just they just couldn't get it right, in my opinion. And that's just my opinion. You may be, disagree with me on that. You may have flock of flickers, and they work perfectly just like they should. If they If they do congratulations to you you probably have you're very happy with the success that you've had with them because they are a phenomenal idea but i'm not the only one that's complained about this when you go online and you read the reviews there's been a lot of reviews out there of people having the same issues that i talked about here on this episode so if i was you know word of mouth goes a long way when it comes to hunters talking to other hunters and equipment and the point of this is not to bash mojo 
but it's to help give you as a hunter who's listening out there my experience on what I experienced with these products. Because if you're trying to spend your hard-earned cash and improve your spread, it may be something that you want to stay away from. And don't just take my word. Go online and read the reviews. There's a lot of reviews that, that agree with what I'm saying here. Now, speaking of reviews, I mentioned Lucky Duck. Lucky Duck's a brand that's been in the business for many, many years now. They they started out with spinning wing decoys. They do a lot of, uh, of uh, predator decoys. They're big in the predator hunting side of the business, um, but ducks is what they what they started on and what they were founded on, from what I could I could see and what I always knew them as. Now, if you go online, um, Lucky Duck has some negative reviews, a lot of negative reviews. Which any company, if you go online and you start going down a wormhole of reading reviews, you're gonna find a lot of people that are pissed off by some of the simplest things sometimes. But in my opinion, a company. That's charging, you know, $100 for a decoy and above for a single decoy. That product should be worked or should be working pretty well. Wouldn't, wouldn't most of you agree? I would think most of us would agree with that, you know? Um, so Lucky Duck is a brand that I had kind of stayed away from over the years because I had seen negative reviews and I'm a big review guy. I go in there and I read reviews and some guys were unhappy with them. Then there was like anything else. There was tons of people that had them that loved them and lived by them. I had some friends of mine that I hunted with through the years. They had the original spinning wing decoys that were Lucky Ducks. And they, uh, me and Troy were talking about it this season. Troy said, man, Joey, our buddy Joey, who hunts with his excellent public land waterfowl hunter. He said, Joey had a, a Lucky Duck spinning wing decoy for years and years and years and never could. That thing never broke on him. He said he just eventually just threw it away, you know, because the, the paint scheme was so beat up on it and stuff. But he said it never quit working in the field. So I was at a point this year where I wanted to add some additional motion in, in during the season to the to the uh, to my spread. And I went over to Cabela's and, and and a lot of you may experience this. I'm not sure if it's just here in Louisiana, but when when opening season starts and right before the season starts, you can you can pretty much have your hand, your pick of what motion decoys and what decoys you want to buy. But our Cabela's here in Gonzales, Louisiana and Bass Pro Shop and, and Academy they get wiped out pretty heavily at the beginning of the season and then the rest of the season if you need to buy a decoy or fill a decoy you know into the spray and you go there to purchase them they're wiped out it's like almost like they get limited quantities of them to kick off the season and then once they sell out they don't reorder until next year so i went over to cabela's i was planning on buying a couple of decoys to fill my spread and once again motion decoys water movement decoys um when i got there I wasn't looking at Mojo because I was kind of fed up with Mojo. I had, I had bad experiences with the last few Mojos I bought. Um, so I was looking at other brands. I was really going to buy more Higdon Pulsators or uh, they had the uh, what's the, the swimming version. I bought uh, the Battleship. The Battleship's a Magnum decoy Higdon makes. Um, and I went to look for those. So they had one Battleship that was in stock. I snatched it up. It was a Drake Mallard decoy. I snatched it up bought the Higdon uh, Battleship, and that thing has been a, a, a beast this year. It's, it's amazing what that thing will do. Um, had a, had a, you know, I love the way it looks in the water. You simply add a weight to it, about an 8-foot to 10-foot cord, set it outside of your decoys, uh, kick it on, and it runs on the excess system that I talked about earlier, which is the lithium battery system. It, it's basically you have a wall charger that charge, plugs in and charges it, 
Uh, you get to the field, they have one wire hanging off of the decoy. You plug it into the decoy itself, and it's gone. It's kicking. And uh, all year long, I used that decoy for this season and never had a lick of issues with it. It recharges fairly quickly. Um, now, it's not a cheap decoy. Once again, it's a Higdon product. Higdon's not known as the cheapest motion decoys, but they back their product up, and it's a good product usually. You usually don't have to have to worry about Higdon. It works pretty well. Um, that particular decoy, I think, cost me 140 bucks, somewhere in that ballpark. So it's about it's in the same ballpark as what a pulsator is, but it gives it a different look, completely different look. Duck swims throughout the decoys or around the decoys. looks very realistic. I highly recommend the Battleship from Higdon. So, like I mentioned, I wanted to buy a couple of different decoys. So, there was only one Higdon in stock. There was no Pulsators at the time when I went. I snatched up the Battleship, started looking on the shelf, and I saw a lot of Lucky Duck. And I thought to myself, I was like, ah, I don't really want to know if I want to pull the trigger on Lucky Duck because I remembered some of those reviews I had read. But they had a decoy that caught my attention. And that particular decoy was what they call the Lucky Duck HD Splasher. The Lucky Duck HD Splasher is a spinning wing decoy, but it sits on the water. So it's similar to, I guess if I had to make a comparison, it's similar to what the Mojo floater was, where everybody's familiar with that one. It was a duck that stood up on a a, a floating platform and spins its wings. So the Lucky Duck HD Splasher is similar to that decoy but it's different in a couple of key areas. First of all, it sits on the water like a like a normal duck would sit on the water and swim on the water when it's sitting on water. It has a small low-profile foam pad that goes underneath it that allows it to float, which tends to work very well with it. Um, it has a single wall charger, and it, it, it plugs in, and it's very simple to charge it. It, it runs the one that I bought from Cabela's. Now they come in different ways. I've discovered since then, but the one I bought from Cabela's that day had a remote system with it. So you could turn it on and off. Or if you don't have the remote, when you open up the decoy to, to turn it on, it has a delay and a full time switch on it. So you could run it nonstop, or you could have it on a delay without having to use the remote. On that particular one, um, the wings are different than that of a traditional spinning wing decoy because it's, I call it, it's, it's kind of a hybrid. It's a spinning wing decoy, but on the wings itself, the wings are magnetic that go on the, on the decoy. They have little rubber flaps that are riveted onto the wings of the decoy that as the decoy spins, it, those little strips hit the water and it splashes water. It's very subtle. It's not nothing that's real loud, but it looks amazing on the water. And that's a decoy I had noticed before, but once again, stayed away from it because it was Lucky Duck brand, and I wasn't sure after reading reviews. But in this situation, I I was in a pinch. I wanted to buy another decoy. I was dead set on getting two decoys that day. So I, I snatched it up, took it home, charged it up, took it out, my first hunt, and really liked the way it looked. It was awesome. It looked really realistic. Um, I actually had some birds come in and land right next to it one day. And uh, they decoyed right to it. I shot them. And I was like, okay, this looks pretty neat, you know. So I have Higdon Pulsators in my spread. I have um, have the uh, Lucky Ducks going. 
and I have a couple of traditional spinning wing decoys um, that I have on extended poles that I made homemade. So looking pretty good. So my wife comes, it was coming, you know, towards Christmas time. And my wife, she says, Hey, you know, what do you want for Christmas? I said, Hey, what a perfect time to have her, you know, get me a couple of decoys and you know how that is guys. You don't, you don't have to hide it from the wife. If it's a Christmas gift, she's willing to buy it. I told her, I said, baby, I said, I want a couple of decoys. She said, well, what do you want? Give me a list. So I went on Amazon. We're huge Amazon prime people, just like a lot of you are. So I went on Amazon. I looked up Lucky Duck. I was so happy with my HD splasher. I said, I want to add a few more to the spread. They just look, you know, really, really good in the spread. Now, a cool thing with the HD splasher is if you don't want the water being thrown on the wings, all you have to do is slide up the little rubber pieces that come, strips that come off the wings, and you have a traditional spinning wing decoy sitting on the water. That's what it looks like. So, but I always use it, like I said, most of the time it's on a, I would, I would use it on a, uh, a day where we didn't have a whole lot of wind and I needed some motion added to the spread just to mix it in, put them towards, you know, some of the timber, the back, the brush that we had away from the hole, kind of put them in the timber further back off the decoys and, uh, and, and it just seemed to work really well. So Christmas comes around and I told her, I said, Hey, I want to get a couple of Lucky Duck HD splashers. I put them in our shopping cart on Amazon prime. If you don't mind, get them for me. Now, Amazon had them for $89 a piece. So I just automatically threw them in the cart, got them going, um, and she ended up getting getting them for me for Christmas. So when I get them delivered to the house, I open up the box and I, I start taking them out. Everything pretty much looks the same as the, the one I had bought at Cabela's. But as I dug further into it, I realized that the reason they were cheaper on Amazon is because they didn't come with the remote. So the one from Cabela's had a remote. If you remember me telling you, it came on a remote, had a keychain remote. You could uh, turn it on and off. And, um, you know, if you wanted it on, on motion, you could do it. If you didn't want the motion, you hit the remote and it, you could control it from the blind. But the one on Amazon did not have the remote, which if I would have stopped and read instead of just throwing it into my cart, I would have read because it clearly stated on there that it did not include a remote. That was the difference. That's why the price difference was was there. The one at Cabela's was more. So I went on the Lucky Ducks website. I took a look at it, and you could add a remote to the decoy at any time. But I think it runs about thirty or forty bucks, which is right around the price range of the one I bought at Cabela's when I originally bought my first one. So for those of you who are shopping and you're hearing this this episode, and you you're, you're maybe interested from what I told you as far as going out and purchasing a Lucky Duck HD splasher. Check them out. They are they are awesome. I had I used it all season long this year. The original one that I bought, and I and I had a I had really good luck with it. Never gave me any problems. It worked just as it should. Now I did mention something about it set it sets itself apart from other decoys. One of the major things to mention that it also did um, different is the sensor on it is water activated. So. A lot of us, when we're setting up motion, you know, spinning wing decoys in the boat, you turn them on and they're, they're, they're clicking by the time you got the wings on them and you're trying to maybe hold them over the boat and bounce them. And I can't tell you in the old days how many wings we lost like that before they got to the magnetic wings. So the cool thing with the Lucky Duck HD Splasher is that the, it has a sensor located on the bottom of the decoy. So it doesn't activate the decoy and turn it on where the wing starts spinning until it hits the water. So once you set that decoy in the water, it starts working and the wings start spinning on it, which is an awesome feature. So 
you know, honestly, dollar for dollar, the success I had this year with that particular decoy, it is worth its weight in gold. It's got some really cool innovations. So Lucky Duck is a company I want to give a shout out to. All those rumors that I heard, you know, from reading reviews and stuff over the years is not something I personally experienced this year. Just the same as in my experience with Mojo, the Mojo Motion Water Movement decoys might not be the same experience that you have with yours if you've tried some of those same decoys I talked about. It, it's different for everybody, I'm sure. But it was consistent on the Mojo. The failures I had on the Mojo decoy was consistent with what I was reading other reviews being. Now, the HD Splasher from Lucky Duck didn't have really negative reviews. When I went back and I looked at it once I bought it, a lot of people seem to like that decoy. It's been good. That may be a decoy that they, they have success with. Other decoys they have may be junk. I don't know. I haven't really tried them yet. But they were successful for me this year. And I highly recommend the HD Splasher. So if you're in the market for, for a water movement decoy, the HD Splasher would be something to check out. Just remember, they are available on Amazon.com, but they do not come with the remote. So if you're looking to have a remote and control it from the blind as you see fit, it will not work, that particular decoy, without purchasing another $30 or $40 remote. As compared to if you go to your Cabela's or your Bass Pro, they sell a version of it that comes with the remote. Just make sure you check that out on the box. Those are typically running in the $130, $140 range for that particular decoy. As a matter of fact, thinking back, it might not be quite that high. I think that Lucky Duck HD Splasher ran me in the ballpark of about $119, $120, somewhere in that ballpark. They were a little bit more affordable um, and, and less expensive than the Higdons are. But just recapping, Higdon, if you're in the market for motion decoys, Higdon is phenomenal. You're going to pay a little bit more money for them, but the quality in the Higdons is exceptional. It's it, it's just really, really good. The Pulsator XS, the Battleship, that's all decoys that I've personally bought and used, and they have worked flawlessly, haven't had any issues whatsoever with them. So that's, that's a couple of pieces and reviews on some of the equipment that we used this year, we made some changes on. First, it was it was my shotgun of choice. I made a change on the fly in the middle of the season. Ended up working out pretty well for me. Um, if you're in the market for a new shotgun, I highly recommend Franke. Uh, anything by the Benelli Corporation has been solid that I've had. Um, it just comes down to personal preference. If you're in the market for new decoys um, and you're looking for specifically water motion decoys, I highly like I said, suggest Higdon. So far, Lucky Duck HD Splasher is a great decoy. Uh, as a matter of fact, this week I was searching online just after the season, seeing if they had any sales on them. And uh, Gander Outdoors, which it was previously Gander Mountain, I believe, they're owned by Camper World now. They have they have retail locations now that are uh, sporting goods locations. So they've changed them. I don't know if they were the original Gander Mountains and they just changed the name or whatever it was. But uh, they actually had them, Gander Outdoors, it's called. They had them online, the Lucky Duck HD Splashers, without the remote, just like the ones on Amazon. They had a sale on them for $59 a decoy. Guys, that's a that's a steal. So we actually snatched up a couple of more of them. I called Troy, a couple of buddies in our, in our group that hunt together, and uh, we purchased a couple of them and snatched them up. Now, I went back two days later, and they had went up $10. I don't know exactly what the reasoning was there. 
but they had shot up to $69. And on Gander Outdoors, if you had an order of $100 or more, it was free shipping. So that's that's a pretty good deal. So, um, you know, that, that just hopefully that helps you out if you're in the market for a couple of new pieces of equipment, maybe a firearm, maybe some decoys. Um, those couple of decoys that we reviewed and kind of talked about here, I can tell you they've been field tested by us. We put them out there. They're, they're solid. They're phenomenal. Um, besides that, you know, um, just major equipment that we use, you, you know, we hunt public land, so we're very versatile and I'm not going to, I'm not going to stay too long on these, but I have to, I have to give a shout out. I've been very happy with this particular brands of equipment that I use. Uh, I do get people that are asking me what boats, what boat I run, what boat some of the other guys run. Uh, here in Louisiana, you know, it's a, it's, it's constantly changing. Like I mentioned in the, earlier in the episode, you could be in deep water. You could the water could fluctuate constantly. We have a lot of shallow water here, a lot of vegetation, water hyacinth. The marshes are real shallow. So pretty much most guys that are waterfowl hunting, uh, at least in South Louisiana, we are running mud motors, um, with shallow water boats. Now, uh, three or four years ago, I went out, I bought a brand new hull. Um, I bought a war Eagle 648 LDV. And I have to, I have to say that that hull has been absolutely phenomenal for me. Um, it's a, you know, 1648 where we hunt on public land. We want something that's easy to conceal. Um, something that I could run a mud motor on and, and I have it paired with a beaver tail 35 long tail. And, and I'll be honest, a lot of people, when I tell them that they say, God damn, a 35 long tail, that thing must wear you out. I'm a big old boy. I, I'm, I'm 6'2", I'm 280, 85 pounds, but yes, it will wear my ass out. I'll be honest with you. Uh, especially the beginning of the season. When I first get back into the swing of things, the beginning of the season, I'm 40 years old. I don't, I don't recover as quick as I used to in my twenties. I feel it. I'll be honest, guys. I feel it, but it has the power. It has the horsepower and the, and the thrust to get me out of shallow water when I'm stuck and I get on a mud flat, I could dig that, that long tail into the mud and it, it'll absolutely push me off of the flat. No problem. So I have that extra power. Do I always use it? I don't always use it. I don't need necessarily need a 35 long tail, but that beaver tail 35 with a Vanguard industrial engine on it for the power source is an absolute beast. And it's, it's the, it's the one that's been out for years. A lot of you probably had it. It was your first surface drive engine. It was your first long tail engine that, that 35 Vanguard it's carbureted and guys say, Oh, you know, man, that thing's cold natured. I'll be honest with you. I've had this mud motor. That was my third complete season. I've had my beaver tail 35 and you know, we don't get the cold weather as like, like a bunch of you up north get it. But if you're listening and you follow the podcast and you, you know, you're in the northern states, you boys get a lot colder weather than we get down here. Cold weather for us is going to be in the 30s, maybe touch 28, 29. You, you, you might be experiencing snow, cold, you know, much colder than we below freezing temperatures. We don't get that here. So I have to say that 35 carbureted Vanguard has been a phenomenal engine for me. It starts right up. It's never let me down. Now, I do maintain it the way it should be maintained. I make sure I have a good cranking battery uh, because it doesn't have a pull start on it. But Beaver Tail makes a phenomenal engine. They make surface drives. They make long tail engines. They're based out of uh, Minnesota. I think is I think where Beaver Tail is based out of is Minnesota. Could be wrong on that, but it's it's up north. I know that. Um, and I've actually called them when I when I worked for Cabela's. We sold Beaver Tail products. I've actually called Beaver Tail with a couple of little questions and, you know, stuff about the motor. 
get somebody on the phone every time they answer it. Um, now we have some phenomenal mud motor companies down here in Louisiana. We have Go Devil. Um, I'm actually a, a boat salesman by trade. I, I'm a Go Devil dealer. Top notch service from Go Devil, Gator Tail, Pro Drive, Gator Tracks. There's a ton of companies out there. Copperhead for all you small mud motor guys. They are some phenomenal companies. And everybody thinks, oh, if you buy something outside of Louisiana that's a mud motor related, they don't. Those guys don't know anything about it. They don't know what they're talking about. Well, I can tell you that's false because this Beaver Tail engine I have, it's made up north, and it's been a workhorse. It's a beast. Paired with my War Eagle 648 LDV, I could put it in anything. I've never got it stuck. I have to honestly say, I've never had that boat stuck. Um, it's it's roomy. I can hunt three hunters out of that boat. All day long, never have a problem. So, look guys, just wanted to spend some time talking about some, some solid equipment that we use out in the field. Uh, hopefully some of this information that we shared tonight on this episode uh, helps you out. If you're in the market for some of these same items, check out War Eagle Boats, check out Beaver Tail, Mud Motors uh, at your local Cabela's. Um, you know, check out Lucky Duck Decoys. Franke shotguns, all these brands that we talked about tonight. That's all stuff that's field proven that we've used and is solid. And I think you'd be very happy with it. Um, so hopefully this helps you. And uh, as you get ready to pre- prepare for next season, some of that hard earned money that you've sp- that you've saved up and spent, you could put it towards good use. And you could say, hey, the guys from Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, I heard it there. They helped me out. So hopefully this helps y'all. Guys, this is Jacob Robery. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. We'll see you out there in the field. Everybody have a good night.